Would you grab your Bibles just for a second, John 14, when we began to look last week at six promises that Jesus speaks before they walk out of the upper room and begin to head to Gethsemane. We got done with two of them. We got done. That's good English. We finished with uh, two of them. So we've got four more to do today. And so we'll go to, let's go 25 through 31, John 14. So these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let your heart not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. And here's why he has no claim. Listen to what he says here. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You may be seated. So there is a restlessness that seems to thrive today. And this restlessness that sometimes can impact our lives robs us of contentedness, and peace. And so, so much is uncertain around us in these days everywhere. There is a deep longing for peace to exist in our lives and to exist in the world. And so, we didn't get as far as we were aiming to last week. And so, we will step back into these last words in the upper room in John 14 before they begin the walk toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we are specifically looking at six very key promises that Jesus gives to the eleven on this Thursday night. So as we begin, I want to briefly review where we were last week, in case you missed and and weren't able to, to watch or listen this week. So I want to remind us of the two promises we looked at last week, for they are connected together and they build upon one another. And so the first promise... Is found in verse 26. And that was the promise of the great helper of our faith. And that's the Spirit. So Jesus says, I'm going away. And when I go away, the Spirit is going to come. And so he, he gives this great promise that the Father will send in Christ's name the Holy Spirit to come and indwell our lives. And then Jesus tells us that the Spirit would do two very unique things when He came. He would be the teacher of all things. And so, all things connected to the glory of Christ. All things connected to the nature of Christ. All the things that we need to know about how to walk with Christ. What His commandments are. The Holy Spirit will be our teacher in all of those things. And so, think about our lives. Every area of our life. There is a teaching and there is a work of the Holy Spirit to teach us how in those areas... To glorify God. And so the Spirit becomes our teacher in all things. Not only that, but as we learn the Word of God, we will find ourselves throughout the week, throughout our lives, in certain instances and moments where immediately we'll go, what am I supposed to do in this situation? And this is where the Spirit comes in. He will bring out, draw out, place in memory things that we have read or maybe a sermon that we've heard or maybe a Bible study that we're part of and something that somebody shared in there and we thought about it in that moment and then it passed and then now it comes back as the Spirit brings that principle or that truth, that precept from Scripture into our mind in that moment. And I touched on it last week, and I want to just remind us this morning of how important it is in our lives to read and immerse ourselves in the Scripture. For if we do not, 
then we cannot remember anything. Those things will be gone from us or we won't, we won't have anything there that we can draw in an instance of our lives. And so, so important to immerse ourselves in the Scripture, to read the Scripture, to listen to the Scripture. I had one of those nights last night, woke up in the middle of the night, could not go back to sleep, and so went to YouTube, typed in uh, rain and Scripture. I wanted to hear rain falling, and I wanted to hear Scripture read, and so I put that up next to my ear, and I listened to the rain fall, and I listened to a guy read the Scripture. Our lives must be permeated with the Scripture. And then those things that are in our heart and in our head, the Spirit can bring to our remembrance. And then we finished our time looking last week at the peace of Christ. That's the second promise that Jesus gives there. It's the promise of a peace that only Jesus himself can give. He states four things there in verse 27. So let me remind us of those four things. Peace according to the scripture, is a reconciliation to God. It's, it's being united with God from a place of being separated from Him, being alienated from Him, and now being in relationship. And we, we were brought into relationship. Romans 5.1 tells us that we've been justified by faith. And because of that justification, we now have peace with God through Christ. So once we were separated, now through Christ, a peace has come. We have been united in relationship. A second aspect of that is, we talked about last week, is, is that times in our life, storms come. We kind of don't know what to do. And we're overwhelming. And, and there's not sometimes anything that we can do but trust. And in those moments when we trust, even in the midst of the chaos, there is a contentedness that comes to our lives. And so the second aspect of peace is a contentedness that comes where we can trust the Lord no matter what is coming into our lives. Jesus also tells us here thirdly that it, the peace that he gives is not like the, the peace that the world gives. So the world writes documents and they have these big meetings. Okay, now we have peace. And then what happens 20, 30 years later? Those documents are just basically forgotten. They are not honored. And so the world offers peace, speaks about peace, creates organizations to be about peace. But there's never a peace that comes, ultimately. So the peace that Christ gives is not like the world's peace that is temporary and it's never lasting. Christ can be lasting if we will trust. A fourth aspect of the peace of Christ is that there is a certainty that when His peace comes, that it can settle our hearts. And that's the last thing He says there in 27. So because of this peace, it's not like the world that I'm giving to you, and I'm leaving with you, you can know this, that your hearts do not have to be troubled. There is a settled peace that can come upon your life. And so he also says this, and don't let your heart be afraid. Could we not use a little less fear in our world today and allow the peace of Christ to fall upon us? So before we dive into John 14 and we look at the next four promises that Jesus gives here first promise the spirit guides us into all truth teaches us all things second promise the peace that Jesus possessed can now become our peace as he gives it to us I want to put both of those together and here's why I want to do that because you cannot according to Christ here ever have peace if you do not have the truth truth can't come our peace cannot come unless we have the truth. So watch what Jesus is doing. He is building upon these things. The Spirit comes to, to guide us into all truth and to teach us all things. And the Spirit comes also to remind us of the things that we have read in the Scripture about God and the commandments. When that happens, when He guides us into the truth, what naturally comes into our lives? Peace. There's a settledness that comes from the truth. And so you cannot have peace if there is no biblical truth. And so the truth about Jesus and the truth from Jesus' sacred words can bring a settled peace in every single area, in every kind of moment in our lives. Truth is necessary for every single aspect of our Christian faith. 
When you have truth, you have Christ. When you have truth, you have Christ at work. When one has the truth, one has all that is needed for faith. And when truth does its work, then the Christ follower will naturally have peace of Christ as Jesus is at work in our lives. So I remind you what he said there. My peace, the peace that Christ had while he was here, he tells the eleven, my peace I am leaving with you and I am giving it directly to you. His peace, the peace that guided his life while he was here, while he walked in truth and he walked in obedience to the Father, he tells the eleven, I'm giving this to you. I am leaving this with you. So watch, as the Spirit guides us into truth, a byproduct of that always is going to be a settled peace. That's why we marvel at people who have gone before us who maintain their deep faith. And they maintain a a settledness, a contentedness with things because they know the truth. And I want to talk about some of those aspects before we get into the next thing. And so when we have biblical truth, we will naturally have the peace of God. So I want you to go back to John 1 just for a second. And I want to talk just for a moment about the promised reality of a peace grounded in truth. The promised reality of a peace that is grounded in truth. So I want to, I want to touch on the word truth that John highlights all through his gospel and show you how this brings a peace into our lives because the Spirit is guiding us into truth. And so when we have truth, we have peace. Will you say that with me? I'll say it again. When we have truth, we will have peace. Ready? When we have truth, we will have peace. So let me show you that. John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Go to verse 17. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Now go to John 4. As you're going to John 4, let me remind you of John 14 connected to the first thing there that Jesus is the person of truth. He said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So listen to this. Jesus is the person of truth. If you and I could poke holes in Jesus this morning, You know what would flow out? Truth and grace. That's what would flow out. He is absolutely full of grace and truth. How amazing is that? That in this room this morning, He tells us when we gather in His name, He is what? Present. So what's present in the room this morning? Grace and truth. Everybody in the room this morning needs grace. Everybody in the room this morning needs truth. And so if we are going to have the settled peace of Christ that He gives and that He has leave, that He leaves with us, then we must be connected to Him who is the truth. Because peace cannot come unless we have the truth. We cannot have the truth unless we have Jesus. So now in John 4, we learn this, that we can't worship unless we know the truth. John 4, 23. So Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit and truth. Notice what Jesus says here. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. 24, God is Spirit and those who worship Him must. Not, not, not there's another alternative, must. There is only one way, must worship in spirit and truth now i want you to just go back with me just for a moment briefly he has met a woman at a well who has been seeking truth and really seeking peace for a long time in men she has had six husbands now she's just given up on marriage after six of them and she's just living with a guy now And Jesus meets her, and he touches her heart, and he tells her this. Listen, 
If you want to know the truth, and she asked a truth question, a worship question. Okay, you Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. We, th- we say it's Mount Gerizim, we Samaritans. So what's the deal? And Jesus says, no, it's not about a location. It's about your heart, your spirit, worshiping God in one way, the truth. So we cannot worship this morning if lies are a part of it. We can only worship this morning if truth is grounded in worship. And so as we sang a while ago, as we were listening to the word this morning, our spirit must yield into, must love the truth. And when we love the truth, we can worship. And, and there's a, we have all, I know we have all experienced that those of us who know Christ, we know this to be true, that there is true worship and there is false worship according to Jesus. What happens when we worship in spirit and truth in this biblical manner? What takes place and happens in our lives? So again, all of us have tasted this reality at some point in time in our life where we have Worship simply, just a simple worship, whatever it may be, just being in awe of something that, that we see that God has done in creation, or just maybe something that we've seen in the Word. And then sometimes we have these profound worship experiences. And they just, they overwhelm us. And so if it's very simple, or if it's very profound, this is what we know. How do we leave those moments? With a settled peace. So sometimes we can come into a room like this and, boy, life is chaotic. The week's been chaotic. As we think about Monday or we even think about Sunday afternoon, doesn't seem to be any answers. Are things going to be settled down? And you know what sometimes happens? We come in here, we hear the truth, we yield to the truth, and there's, there's a reminder <clears throat> that He can hold us, He can carry us, And right here in this room, there's a settled peace that comes upon us. That maybe this afternoon, that chaotic week, that situation has remained unchanged. But our perspective is different, right? There's a contentedness there in that moment that I am His. And He will carry me through. So so when truth comes in worship, it brings a settled peace in our lives. Now go to John chapter 8. So Jesus is having a big talk with the religious leaders. And so in verse 31 and 32, he speaks these powerful words about when we abide in the word, it leads to knowing the truth and setting us free. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you, or when you, in other words, when you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And here's the result of that. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says here, authentic disciples of His practice abiding or remaining in the Scriptures, in the truth that He teaches, in the reality of who He is, and that practice brings a very clear understanding of a knowledge of the truth and a knowledge of who He is. So then Jesus states that the result of that is something that everybody longs for, freedom. I want to be free from the things that shackle me. I want to be free from the things that seem to just consistently overwhelm me. I want to be free from that temptation that I just seem to give in so easily to. I want want the freedom that Christ offers. And so Christ here reminds us that where there is freedom, watch this, where there is a freedom that comes from God, guess what is always present? The truth. It is the truth that brings the freedom. And when the freedom is there because the truth is present, there comes in our lives a settled peace in our lives. The Apostle Paul several times said this, I'm the greatest sinner who has ever lived on the earth. I can't imagine that that's the case. I think I could better him. But I think I know this to be true about him. He was so amazed at who he once was and what Christ had made him 
that that realization of the sin nature that was there and who he was before and what God had made him and what God had called him to be had brought such an incredible freedom. And I think he, he really lived free most of the time, Paul did. That's why he seemed to not ever really be afraid. Remember the time that he was stoned outside of the city because he was preaching in there? And they think he's dead. And they go over to minister to him. And he gets up. And he goes back into the city where the citizens were that had just stoned him. You see, that's a heart that's free. That's a heart that's not chained. Most people would say, okay, I better not go in there. That's dangerous in there. Paul was so free that if it did cost him his life going back in, it was okay. Why? Because where there is the truth, there is what? Freedom. And where there is truth and where there is freedom, guess what there is? Peace. A settled peace that God is handling things. Now go to John 17. We're going to go past where we are today and, and then we'll go back to it. John 17, 17. This is this great prayer of Christ. In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. Let's read it again. Such an important word, verse. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. This word sanctify carries two meanings. First meaning is this. To set something aside for noble, godly purposes. Second meaning of sanctification means to bring a holiness and a purity to something. So it is a setting aside for pure purposes. And so Jesus praying for the eleven and for us says these words, Father, set them apart in truth, in your word. And Lord, and he says from Father, here's the truth. This is where they need to abide. This is where they need to be set apart for these noble purposes. Your word is the truth. And so Father, set them aside in holy purposes in your word. Because it is your word that is the truth. And when this godly work happens in our lives, where we are being sanctified then it makes us to be like Jesus in all kinds of ways. And we are taken deeper in the Word. And every time that happens, when we are set apart in the depth and the truth of God's Word, there is a peace that comes in our lives. One last one. I want you to go to John 18, 37. Or 36. John 18, 36. So Jesus is talking to Pilate, and Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. And my my servants would have been fighting, Jesus is telling them, if that was the case, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. 37. So then Pilate said, so you are a king? And Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. Now don't miss these words. We're going to get there eventually to John 18. For this purpose, now look up here. This is very important. Here is the eternal, pre-existent, Logos, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, saying this, this is the reason I came to the earth. This is why I'm here. Pilate, this is why I'm standing before you. Pilate, this is why I was delivered over to the religious leaders who have brought me to you. This is why I've been doing all the miracles and I've been doing all the teaching. So listen, look at 37. Or, yeah. So he says, so, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. But for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens 
to my voice. This is why truth matters today. It's why we as believers, as we look at our culture, just don't go, oh well. What happens when truth is not present? Just turn on the news this afternoon. Just look at the world. Just go to a website and read. Jesus says here, I came for this purpose. What's the cross about? The truth. What's the resurrection about? The truth. What's His ascension about? The truth. What were the miracles about? The truth. What was all of His teaching about? The truth. What was calling 12 disciples to Him about? The truth. Everything that Jesus did was about revealing the truth. He came for this very purpose. And so if we do not connect to the truth, we will never have freedom. We will never have peace. There will never be a contentedness in our circumstances. So we must know the person of truth. We cannot worship Him without the truth. We must abide in the Word because that allows us, or abide in Him, it allows us to know the truth and the truth brings freedom. We must love the truth, know the truth, and allow God to sanctify us in the truth. And, And this fifth one, listen to that, don't miss it. The purpose of Jesus was to come to bear witness to the truth. When we know Jesus, we will know the truth. Again, what is missing in the world? The truth. Why what Jesus came to bring was the truth. So in light of the scriptures, when Jesus speaks of the truth and in regard to John 14 about peace, he is not just speaking about a feeling, though feelings are part of our faith at times. But he's talking about something that's stronger than emotions in the moment. He's talking about the strongest reality for faith. Truth leads us always to have a confidence that is deeper than a feeling. It leads us eventually to a settled peace that God can be trusted, listen, in every single moment of life. Every moment. In our sickness, in our health, in our pain, in our joy, in our goodness, in our worship, He can be trusted. So when we know the truth of God's nature and the truth of the Word, it brings a peace that Paul says in Philippians 4, 7 that surpasses our understanding. And I know that all of us have been there at some point in time where it makes no sense that there's a settled peace in our heart and in our life because our circumstances sure don't look very peaceful and yet there is a peace that's there. Because of the truth. And churches who don't talk about this, how do they help people? If He came for this very purpose, we should never stop talking about the truth. Even when it's uncomfortable, we must embrace what Christ said, that truth brings freedom. And so when it's uncomfortable to hear it, it's what we need. Why? Because it will bring freedom. Truth is why He came. He is the person of truth. And a life or a church that does not love the truth is not one that knows the Lord. Because that's why He came. And so here, you're going to get the truth. We're going to talk about it. I could tell funny stories this morning. My kids, as I've told you before, don't think I'm funny. But I can tell funny stories and I could do a comedy show, in a sense, this morning and throw some truth in there. But how helpful is that? It's good to laugh. That's biblical. What we need is a great dose every day of our life of truth. And then there becomes a joy that we're going to look at now. So let's look at the next promise. And the outline may be messed up. This is the fourth. This is the fourth one. Here's the fourth promise. 
28 and 29. Read that with me, please. So you heard me say to you, I'm going to go away and and I'm going to come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So listen to this. In 1333, 1336, 143, 1418, and 14:25, he has told them the same thing. I'm going to go away and you're not going to see me anymore. And then he says these words, and this is good. It's good that you're not going to see me anymore. And they're, they're going, wait, 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 wait. How is that good for us? All we've known for the last three years is walking with you, and that's been good. So now you're going to go away, and that now is going to be good for us, that you are going away. And he's communicating to them, they've got to think differently. They've got to think deeper. His going away meant what? Who was coming if he went away? The Spirit. If he didn't go away, the Spirit wouldn't come. So watch, so, so this group of people, there's more than just the twelve and now just the eleven who believed. We know that after the resurrection, Paul tells us that 500 people saw the risen Lord. There wasn't this big, massive amount of people before Jesus ascended who saw Christ, and there wasn't this massive amount of people that were followers. But Jesus is telling this few select group of people he's telling these words he says it is absolutely good because if i don't go away then if people are going to really want to be in the presence of god then they everybody's going to move to jerusalem and follow us around but if i go away the father's going to do this miraculous thing he's going to send the holy spirit in my name and he will indwell every single person whose faith rests in what christ did on the cross and that can happen immediately. So, so think about this today. All over the world today, people have gathered. Yesterday, people in Nepal, a lot, of, a lot of places, countries of the world, they or a number of them, they worship on Saturday. A lot of people have worshipped already today in other parts of the world. A lot of people are worshipping today. Every single one of them who has come to faith in Christ has the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's this incredible, miraculous thing. And so Jesus says, it is absolutely good that I go away. As a matter of fact, if you trusted what I've been telling you, you would, you would rejoice in this. And again, it's just, it's, they're having a hard time computing in this. How is this for my joy if you go away? But Jesus says, it is for your joy that I go away. Four things I want to touch on just briefly. His going away assures them. He says there in 28, you have heard me say to you, I am going away. And if I'm going away, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back and I'm going to come to you so he promises them that his going away assures them that he will come again and one of those places where he tells them he's going to go away he tells them i'm not going to leave you like orphans just by yourself with nobody seeking you i'm going to leave you here the spirit's going to come you're not going to be alone the spirit's going to come but not only that but i am going to come again to you secondly His going away means we get joy. Would you go back to chapter 17 again, just for a second? His going away means that we get joy. 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life. Or 17, 4, sorry. I glorified you on earth. I'm I'm having a hard time here. Hang on, I've got to get back to the right place. Pardon me just for a second. I've lost my place here. Where is it? 17. 3, is that right? 13. Thank you. Verse 13. There we go. 17, 13. Now I've proved to you I make mistakes. All right. Verse 13. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now listen to this. How significant is this? 
So he says in 14, I'm leaving my peace with you. Listen to what he says. I'm leaving my peace, Christ's peace that he had while he was here. And I'm giving you my peace. That's John 14. Now we get to John 17. And he tells them, what's he going to give them? My joy. Not only do we get his peace, but we get his joy. We get his joy. He gives that. Let's go back to 14 now. So his going away also means that we get joy. Thirdly, loving him means that we rejoice that the plan of God is good. The second part of verse 28. Here's another way he says, if you love me, this is what you would do. Before he says, if you love me, you'll keep my word. Now he says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. We must always rejoice at the words of Christ. And so he tells them, this is for your good. And because I'm going, I'm letting you know that the Helper is going to come. And you should rejoice at this. Yes, it's going to be a, a little bit different. But this is for your joy. And often we don't find the joy that God offers us because we get so caught up. So caught up in our own sorrows. Our own frustrations. And our own fears. And so he says, listen, my going away to the Father is good because the Father is so great and he has this great plan that I, would, that I am to go away and the Spirit is to come in my name. The fourth promise that's connected to the plan of God is that his word fulfilled, when we see it and we get it and we understand it, it leads to a stronger belief. Look at 29. So he's like, listen, I'm telling you this beforehand. So I'm telling you before it takes place so that when you know it takes place, you will or you may believe. God is always after, and he's after the 11 here. He's after our growing belief in him. And telling them beforehand, let gets them ready for it. He's already told them this. He's told them that what's Judas going to do? He says, he's already told them, listen, one of you is going to betray me. In just a few hours, they're going to see this betrayal come to place. And they will, they, they will remember what he told them, that one of them truly was going to betray him. And that he knew it beforehand. Now he's telling them again. Tell them, listen, am I going away? It means a promise is coming to you. And on that day when it happens, you will know when it happens that I told you beforehand... And this is what will happen. You will have greater faith in me on that day. So on the day of the Pentecost, they're in an upper room waiting. He has told them to wait until the Spirit comes. The Spirit comes and dwells them. What do they immediately know in that moment? What he told us was what? It was true. It was true. He said this day was coming when the Spirit would be sent and would indwell us And so now in the moment, they know that to be true. Is that not true in our own lives? We have these moments where the Scripture brings to fruition a reality, a fruit in our lives that confirms to us what? That what Jesus has said is true. It's the truth. And we can believe it. So he's told them of Judas. He's told them now about the Spirit that they would believe. There is a call just pause here just for a moment there's a call upon our lives to rise above the things that we don't understand and all throughout history God has called people to trust when they don't have all the answers talked last week about Noah building an ark in the middle of nowhere and telling people hey it's going to flood the earth going to be water here one day that's going to lift up this boat yeah whatever Noah you're crazy Abraham was very old when God came and said, from you, I know your past child-rearing years, but watch what I can do, I'm God. Um, From you, you will become the father of all nations. For from you will come one that's going to bless all the families of the earth. When he was old, God can bring that about. Moses flees Egypt 
And for 40 years, God makes him wait. Tending sheep. 40 years. Think about that. 40 years until God says, all right, old man in the desert, got a plan for you. You're going to go back into Egypt, and I'm going to use you to be my spokesperson to bring my people out of bondage and into freedom. Joseph had a dream at age 17 that his brothers and his mother and father would bow down before him. It took ultimately about 37 years for that fulfillment to happen. Accused of rape, prison, forgotten, betrayed by his brothers. And in the end, when the brothers come and they realize it's him, what does he tell them? You didn't do this to me. God orchestrated all this. Look at the settled peace in Joseph's life. A perspective that passes understanding. Job loses everything. And he says, yet though he slay me, I will put my trust in him. Gideon, before the armies. Gideon, too many people, too many men. Too many men. Let's whittle it down a little bit more. Gideon, we need a small army against the big army. And what did God do? Listen, this is the nature of God. He will call us at times to believe things that don't seem, impo- don't seem possible. He will call us to the impossible. And He will call us to trust. And so even in our day today, we must rise above the confusion as God's people. It looks like there's not any answers to just the consuming aspect of our culture today. We must rise above that and have eyes of faith and not get distracted. God is at work right now, this very moment in our culture. He is always at work. And so maybe the call for us is to trust, to walk in obedience, to embrace His promises knowing that the power of God resides inside of us. God lives in this body. He lives in your body if you know Christ by faith. So we have this great promise. Here's the next promise. Listen to this. And this is a great one. It builds upon that. Verse 30. It's the promise that the ruler of this world has no claim on our God. Verse 30. And I will no longer talk much with you For the ruler of this world, he is coming, and he has no claim on me. So the time for Jesus to continue talking was coming to an end. And so he tells them, listen, we're not going to talk like this very much anymore. It's going to be over with, and you need to know this, that the culmination of why I came about the truth, that I would die, and I would rise And the Spirit will come and all of those things, all of this is connected to the promise of the Father. This is connected to the perfect plan of the Father. So we're not going to get to talk much about this, but there's one who's coming. And he's got an agenda as well. And he's the ruler of this world. But let me tell you, men, something that's true about him. He has no claim on me. Why does Satan have no claim on Christ? Christ is sinless. He could offer Jesus nothing that Jesus didn't own. There was no temptation that Satan could offer Jesus. That he would go, yeah, I'll buy that. I don't have that. So Jesus tells us and communicates to us that Satan had no claim on him. And so Jesus shares these words. He's telling them, listen, the most extreme Spiritual warfare is going to rage in the whole history of the world over the next 18 to 20 hours. And Satan will come at Christ. Listen, Jesus' life was not, listen, listen, Jesus' life was not at the mercy of Satan. And if you and I know Jesus today, and the Spirit resides in us, our lives are not as well at the mercy of Satan. We have God living in these bodies. We have been redeemed. And it's a matter of trust. So just as Christ was not at the mercy of Satan and salvation, 
we aren't as well. He knew that his life was still fully in the hands of the Father. Christ is sovereign over Satan, not the other way around. And Satan had nothing on Jesus. He couldn't tell a secret on Jesus. Satan would not be able to find any kind of temptation or weakness in Jesus to deter, to deter him from the sovereign unfolding of the Father's plan in Jerusalem. Throughout history of God's people, Satan has found weakness in God's people, has he not? David was weak. Abraham was weak. Isaac was weak. Samson was weak. And on this night, guess who will be weak? Peter will be very weak. Nothing, though, could be found in Jesus from the greatest victory. The great promise this morning still is that Satan has no claim on God. And as his people, we should rejoice that he has no claim on the redeemed. We belong to God. Here's the next promise. It's the promise and proof to the world out there that Jesus loves the Father. Look at 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Don't miss this. Why did Satan have no claim on Jesus? Because in every moment of Jesus' life, what did He do? He obeyed the Father. He was sinless. You and I are still the same. This must be our path. If we're going to find freedom from the enemy's temptation, we must take the same path that Jesus did. We must obey. So as Christ says, He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. And then now Christ says this, and, and as I have obeyed my Father, and I'm going to obey Him all the way to the cross, this is going to communicate to the world that I belong to the Father and that I love the Father. And so He says, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Satan would assault Jesus. And Jesus would meet the assault by trusting in the Father. This is the same way we are to fight temptation. By trusting in the Father. And so these words affirm to us what Jesus is communicating to them in the upper room can be ours. That the same standard for Him must become the same standard for us. We trust and we obey So the practice of Jesus is he does as the Father commanded him. And Jesus, watch, so important, didn't find this to be something not to be expected. He expected this to be the case, that the Father would ask him to do what? To obey. We must be like him as well. We should expect, we should expect, that the Father is asking you and I to do what? Nothing less than Jesus. Obey. Trust when temptation comes. That we have nothing less than that. The following chapter, we'll start into it next week. He will say the words abide 11 times. He will talk about us loving Him seven times. And He will talk about the importance of the Word again in John 15, four times. So Christ remained, he trusted, he embraced. And the world will know, Jesus says, that I love the Father when I go to the cross. It will know that I love the Father. Here's the last promise. You may not see it there, but it's there. Look at the last words. Rise, let us go from there. That's powerful truth, right? See the principle there? I think you you will. Here's the principle. What's he stepping toward? What's he stepping toward? The cross. Stepping toward his death. So they're in the safety of an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. The religious leaders don't know where he is. The Roman guard that's about to come arrest him, they don't know where he is. 
And so when he says, rise, let us go from here, he is stepping toward the cross. Here is Jesus getting up and not waiting for the enemy, but going to meet him. Here is Jesus going to the place where Judas will bring those who will arrest him and begin his suffering. Here is Jesus going to the garden where he will agonize in prayer. Here is Jesus going toward the finality of the Father's purpose and plan. Here is Jesus going to be mocked, spat on, beard pulled out, blindfolded, crown of thorns, lied about, mocked. Jesus' obedience, deeply grounded in his love for the Father, gives him a peace to get up from the table and to move toward the storm of his suffering. And so the obedience of Jesus, really important, sets the pattern for our lives. When he says, rise, let us go from here. We are not to run from the will of the Father, no matter the cost that it might bring. One last reminder for us all. Christ may not, and I'll stress may not, he might. But he may not completely calm every storm completely that may arise in our lives. But he does promise in the midst of the storm that we are able to find peace as we know the truth and the truth sets us free. Isaiah said it like this. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an, listen to this, an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock immovable storms will rage God will not change and he can be trusted no matter what six great promises as they walk now to the garden of Gethsemane let's pray